everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our Y&R chat for Sunday, April 8th, 2018, like a ray of sunshine peeking through the clouds. We are starting to see some signs of the Victoria that we used to know. We're not completely there yet. We've got some ways to go, but we made some really good progress this week, and I think that I need that. I don't know if you guys are being impacted by this storyline as much as I am, but I really, really have taken this whole situation with Victoria and JT to heart. So much so that I woke up on, I think it was Thursday morning, realizing that I was dreaming about JT having like kidnapped me, held me hostage, and and was like abusing me. I don't know why this storyline in particular has gotten into my brain. I almost never dream about YNR. I think I'd get all of it, most of it anyway, out on Sunday. So I don't know why all of a sudden this one is creeped into my brain so deeply, but I needed to have at least some semblance of Victoria's life being put back together. So I was really, really proud of and impressed by Mac before leaving town, going out of her way to try one more time just to get through to Victoria. And in the absence of Victoria being receptive to that information, Mac goes to Sharon and is able to enlist her help. Mac finds out that Sharon is a crisis management um, like counselor on you know, on the crisis hotline, and she, Mac decides to open up to Sharon and tell her about the emotional abuse that she experienced while she was in a relationship with JT. And it was enough of a breadcrumb for Sharon to decide to approach Victoria on her own. And Sharon gave Victoria the card, the business card, of a relationship specialist to help her. Sharon would be out of her league and she would be far too involved in the family to be able to really get through to Victoria on her own. But she just, the way that Sharon just kind of put the card down on the table and let Victoria do with it what she would, I think was just really genuine of Sharon, and I'm so glad that it worked. Like, Victoria seemed very indignant toward the idea on the surface, but then she takes the card, and we start to see this really fast and incredible transformation in the way Victoria is viewing not only her relationship, but her entire life. Like, the idea that there was some kind of hope for things to change in her situation was enough to really push Victoria in the right direction. Immediately, she goes home and she starts putting her foot down with JT, saying that he has been disrespectful toward her and she's not going to have it. She, in fact, is going to put the wedding plans on hold and that she is insisting they go see this relationship counselor. I mean, why not? Something's not working. There's obviously an unhealthy pattern here. And if he wants to continue to be in her life, then he is going to go see this counselor. Well, 
JT's attitude all of a sudden started to change as a result of this. Like suddenly he was walking a much finer line when it came to any interaction with Victoria. He was trying very, very hard to stay in her favor and he was trying to give her something. He was admitting to small personality flaws that he has. He wasn't admitting admitting to anything larger, certainly not to any type of abuse, but he was at least willing to give her a little bit of something, a little bit of leeway, and most importantly, he does agree to go get some help. I'll give him that. He he decided to go along. He knew what was good for him, right? I just found that counseling session to be so, so important. It was a snapshot of their relationship being like a Polaroid. Like this counselor is showing them a picture of their relationship and holding it up and allowing them to see themselves for maybe the first time in a while, see themselves inside of this relationship for the first time in a while. Every single question that the therapist asked, JT would give a very sugar-coated answer, whereas Victoria was trying to give the truth. So the counselor would say to them, how often do you two fight? And JT would respond, eh, once a month. And, J- and Victoria would come back and say, no, it's more like every two weeks. And lately it's been a whole lot more than that. Then the counselor asks, has your relationship ever become physical? JT immediately says, no, not really. And Victoria says, well, actually, yes, it has. I thought it was interesting that she that in response to this question, she decided to throw herself under the proverbial bus first. The first thing that she admitted to after saying there was physical abuse was that she slapped him. Not only did she slap him uh, when we all didn't see it happen in the argument a couple of weeks ago, but she also admitted to have slapped him previously in the marriage before this new incarnation of the relationship ever started happening when they were married previously. I don't, I don't remember that, but I'm sure she did. You know, you know, guys are always getting slapped by the women on the show. I mean, we see this as a pattern. So maybe that's what has sunk into Victoria's mind as far as remembering or misremembering the argument that they had a couple of weeks ago. But I thought it was interesting that she put herself and her, um, you know, her, um, you know, physicality uh, owned her part of that first. And then a little bit almost maybe sweeping under the rug sort of said, and he grabbed my throat. Like she didn't she didn't highlight that. She decided to highlight herself and then follow up with what happened with him. Uh, and, and, and JT did not like it. Oh, he did not like having the truth held up to him at all. His sugar-coated version of reality is probably in part what allows him to keep doing it. Like, you know, the fact that he can believe in his mind that it's nothing is probably what allows him to continue the pattern. And he wanted out of that room. He did not like this at all. He wanted out of that situation. He wanted away from this therapist forever. He'd be perfectly happy if he never had to see this therapist ever again. I think that JT much 
preferred the version of his relationship with Victoria where he was the one that held all of the control, where he was the one that called all of the shots and where he was able to act however he wanted. Now here we are in a situation where JT is being held accountable. So he begins to overcompensate. Suddenly, now he is trying to be extra supportive of Victoria. He's trying to be extra romantic, extra understanding. I would say the very best case scenario for JT and his personality would be that he is starting to see the vision of himself as an abuser, and he is making genuine progress toward wanting to correct it, but I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think it's far more likely that JT is just trying to distract attention away from himself now. He's gotten Victoria's attention with his bad behavior, and it's making him have to be accountable, and he doesn't like it, so I think he's trying to just throw out smoke bombs of romance and flowers and understanding until things can go back to the way that he really wants them. But I I really think that the, the, the match has been lit here because Victoria takes it upon herself to secretly go back to that same counselor for a follow up session. And the counselor tries to help her through what she's going through. Victoria is wanting someone to tell her whether if she should marry JT, if she should be moving forward in this relationship, or if these red flags are enough. And the counselor made a really good point by saying, well, what if things never change? Can you live with that? If everything stays exactly the same as it is right now, can you live with that? And I thought that was so great because now here, Victoria is not just thinking about her relationship. She went in just wanting to talk about JT and she left thinking about her personal well-being. And it was such a great start. She was making excellent progress because the first step for her in all of this, and probably the hardest step, would be to realize where you actually are and then work on where you need to be. And I think that Victoria recognized some things, not just about JT, but about herself and the fact that she's always in a situation where she's being controlled in a way, whether it's by her father or in the absence of her father, a controlling man like JT. And just like having your world crash down upon you, having your reality crash down upon you like that made Victoria immediately feel trapped. And she wanted out. Now she wants out. She even fantasizes about ending the relationship. And we saw this series of scenes where Victoria goes home and she tells JT she's not going to marry him. She's packed his bag. She wants him to get out. And I thought it was really telling that in this dream, this like fantasy that she's creating in her mind, the JT character was actually telling her, oh, you think you can get out of this? You're not going anywhere. You don't have the ability to escape here. It's not your decision. So isn't that interesting? I think it speaks to 
Victoria's mindset that she, of how trapped she really feels that all along maybe she's been wanting to get out but didn't know how and didn't and then slowly it became that she didn't know it was even possible so with the intention of going home and making that dream a reality she walks through the door of her house JT is waiting there and as soon as he starts to open his mouth and they start to converse. Victoria sees that JT is trying to make some kind of progress and is trying to make some of the changes that she has asked of him. On the surface, JT is being really nice now. He has done everything that she has asked him to do. He went to counseling. He's making progress toward admitting his own role in the relationship. He's telling her how much he loves her, how much he wants to marry her, how much he wants to be with her forever, how she makes him a better man. And she hears all of this and just little by little, it all, all of the progress starts to melt away. She starts to second guess herself. I'm sure that's what it was. I'm sure that she now is doubting herself and saying, well, maybe I don't need to leave him. Maybe he actually is. Maybe it actually can get better. Maybe there is some hope. And it it's very unfortunate because um, as soon as she starts to soften on her position with him, um, they just, they immediately fall back into the same unhealthy pattern of relationship, letting their passionate, in quotes, relationship play out right there on the couch. Ugh, that lovemaking scene was heartbreaking. I mean, usually lovemaking scenes are heartbreaking in an entirely different way. And this is one where I'm just looking at Victoria and I'm seeing this lost person who doesn't know what to do with herself now and doesn't know what the right decision is to make and just to to see JT there on top of her it was it was heartbreaking for me um as soon as the passion <laughs> dies down Victoria does tell JT that she was planning to leave him. And what is his response? It's it's really the same as, as it's been all along. He's He blames everybody else. He wants to blame Mac. Oh, what did she say to you? Did she get to you again? He wants to blame Billy. What? Oh, did Billy uh, do something? He wants, he wants to have you all for himself anyway. He's blaming everybody but himself. He refuses to take accountability for any of the actions that have led him to this point. And he even tells her that, you know, your problem is Victor. Victor's the real problem, not me. So when it's not Mac and it's not Billy, it can't be him. So it's Victor. Victor's the real problem. <sighs> My hopes were dashed in that moment. I mean, to... To stand there and disparage Victor with everything that's going on right now, I mean, what a thing to say to a daughter whose father is in the hospital dying, and you're the one that put him there. Actually, you cannot kill Victor Newman. It is 
literally impossible. His body is made up of the same stuff as the airplane black box. You can do any number of things to try to kill this man and he would just keep coming back. I assure you, chatters. Um, it's kind of funny because um, I, I have heard a, a lot of chatter this week about Victor dying. Is Victor going to die? Eric Braden's retiring. I heard it's true. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. If you heard it, it was gossip. Victor Newman will rise again. By this time next week, he's going to have his eyes peeping open and he's going to be back in the game. I mean, come on. First of all, don't worry. Eric Braden has said he is not ever going to retire. I, I, I promise you, for Victor fans out there or people who can't wait to see him kick the bucket, when Eric Braden decides to leave this show... They are going to do like a two month long celebration of his life. Like he's if, if he if he happens to pass away while he's still on the show, I'm sure that would be a different thing. But that man ain't going nowhere while he is still alive. If there is breath in his body, he's going to be on our screens. He's said it. <laughs> So I worry not at any of this. Every time I hear this rumor coming up, I'm like, ugh, just stop, okay? Just let's stop the cycle of rumoring about Eric Braden retiring. He must be so sick of it by now. Anyway, I mean, this is what soaps are. They take you right to the brink of someone's death and then they pull you back. And we just, we hit the brink this week. I was ready to see him, you know, make some progress. Uh, it was a little hard for me to muster up any real concern over the man. Uh, but the entire family was there and they were gathered around him preparing for the worst. Nikki is living in a, a living hell right now. And not only because she's losing the love of her life but the bastard has no living will I, I was I was so uh, that annoys me to no end like cause, so now Nikki is sitting there with the burden of the decision of whether or not to keep Victor alive that's heaped on top of her in addition to the all the other emotions that's going on you couldn't be bothered Victor you're a billionaire you don't have some kind of plan for when you do die that's ridiculous <laughs> and selfish it actually is probably classic Victor Newman because it is selfish as usual Blech. here's what threw me for a loop, though. This is what I found weird in all of this. <laughs> Nikki is weeping at Victor's bedside, saying that, oh, she doesn't want to lose him now. She can't lose him. She's happier with him than she's ever been in her whole life. Finally, they've reached this point where not only do they have the love, but they also have a friendship. What friendship? What friendship is this that I missed? Because I do not recall one moment, not one moment of friendship since Victor and Nikki had their remarriage of convenience. Like, it's been, for the last month, it's been all roommates and arrangements. We have an arrangement. I It bugs me because I think, well, if there was some grand friendship there, why didn't we see it? I feel a little bit robbed of seeing the closeness between Nikki and Vicky, Victor that was supposedly there. And I think that created a little bit of a hurdle also for me in, in like really tapping into Nikki's pain. You know, it just kind of felt like, well, you really weren't having, I mean, the only thing positive 
initiative that Victor did in the past couple weeks before he, he got hurt was was um, deciding to get involved in the, the project with Rainbow Gardens, Project New Hope or whatever it is. Ugh, I don't know. But I can tell you this, it's pretty clear. When Victor wakes up, when Victor wakes up, Nikki's gonna have no need for Arturo. <laughs> How much do you bet? She's gonna drop him so fast. She's pretty much already put the brakes on the relationship, told him to stay away. She has to focus on Victor right now. You could just join the club of men who were not, a, not matching up to Victor in Nikki's mind. So Arturo, you just go ahead. Abby can have you. <laughs> oh... The Nikki and Victor show. Well, since there's no living will and Victor's at the brink of death, <laughs> Nikki is seeking advice from Victor's children, of course, about whether or not they need to keep him on life support. And I thought it was interesting that Abby and Nick both voted to keep Victor alive. It really did feel like a test. <laughs> like, uh, if you say yes, let's go and turn off the machines and he was gonna sit up and and I don't know like fire you <laughs> do something to get back at you um and Nick has had some interesting dialogue this past week talking about that that Victor really has no <laughs> he doesn't have the same kind of human emotions as others do he, he's a business robot and he really only thinks of things in terms of business and if there is a place where he needs to have an emotion reaction he can only approach it from a business type standpoint I thought that was um, an interesting comment but I was also a little shocked to see that Nikki and Victoria were voting to let him go I think Victoria shares that same mentality she um, she has modeled a lot of her life after Victor and maybe she's just thinking of things as a business arrangement saying that Victor wouldn't want to live hooked up to a machine and if there's a I can just see Victoria putting herself into like a very focused decision-making mode to to make this decision and I also can't help but think that maybe Victoria's current situation with JT has influenced her opinion. He is certainly missing no opportunities to bad mouth uh, Victor at every single turn. I could, I could see Nikki arriving at this decision a little easier. That makes a little more sense to me. But we did have this scene early in the week where Nikki's weeping over Victor's bedside, and we heard a voiceover of Victor whispering sweet nothings to Nikki. And I didn't know if it was her imagining that. Like, what are we, what, how to interpret that? Is Nikki supposedly imagining Victor saying these things? But now I kind of... I'm led to believe that maybe that scene was there because Victor can hear everything that's going on. Maybe it was Victor responding to Nikki inside of his own head, even if he doesn't have the strength to say it with his body. And if that's the case, maybe Victor overheard what Victoria said about taking him off life support. And maybe now he is fighting to get better, knowing that he cannot take the truth about JD and the horrible things he's done in the relationship that Victoria is in uh, to his grave. So, <laughs> on Friday, 
Victor's miracle recovery begins. <laughs> Suddenly, he is responding to the antibiotics. Nikki gives this news to the entire family. So the the uh, treatments that he's been receiving are starting to work. The police are also apparently starting to finally do some work. They found some samples of blood at the crime scene at the ranch that don't match Jack's blood type. So it's leading the police to believe that maybe Jack wasn't, or at least there could have been someone else there at the ranch, even though that's not exactly conclusive. It could have been anybody's blood. But all of this, all of it, adds up to the walls closing in on JT. I mean, he is kind of screwed. If Victor wakes up, JT's life as he know it is over. But if Victor dies, here's JT's opportunity to save his own life. And, of course, to, you know, like, tighten his stranglehold on Victoria and her life. So, JT makes the decision to just flip up his dark hoodie and sneaks into Victor's room to finish the job. In true dramatic villain fashion, JT goes into Victor's room and before he does what he's about to do, he sits down next to Victor's bedside and he gives his monologue, his explanation that is supposed to reconcile and rationalize what he's about to do. He tells Victor, you hurt people all the time. Uh, you're never, you are never accountable for what you've done. That's a little pot calling the kettle black. You're never accountable for your actions. Look at what you did to Colleen, Victor. I, it's, I, 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 I wish I would have made the connection with all of this Colleen stuff um, and connected it to Victor well before now. That uh, JT's motivation when it comes to hating Victor so much is very much driven by what happened to Colleen. And I don't think that I, that I really picked up on that until the last couple of weeks when he started talking about it. But not for nothing, by the way. Patty killed Colleen. Victor was the one who unleashed Patty, but he didn't exactly kill her. Uh, and that, that storyline was so great. It would have been it would have been worthwhile to have dug into that a little bit more. Victor did even receive Colleen's heart after she died. I would think in a way, I'm, it probably drives him nuts that Colleen's heart is beating inside of the man who uh, who killed her. But if Tracy can come around to accepting that, I would. I would think that JT could come around to accepting that, but he's making it all about himself. He sees this as also Colleen's death being part of the downfall of his life. That's where things started to unravel for him. Like maybe Colleen, who was not a saint, 
represented some of the good in him. And the more and more he gets distanced from her death uh, and the longer she's gone, maybe the good in him is slowly dying away or maybe that's how he feels. And that's how he's justifying it. That's how he's reconciling what's he, what he's getting ready to do. And he says that, you know, just when I, I got, you know, I, I moved on with my life, just as I was starting to get things back on track, Victor is the one who wants to ruin it. That's another strike against Victor. In his mind, Victor did also just ruin this job opportunity that he was hoping to get with the GCPD, and he sees Victor as obviously going to have the potential to ruin his relationship with Victoria. So he just looks at Victor and says, it's you or me, and it's not going to be me this time. I really, like, that's the line that gives us JT's mentality. It's either you or me, and it's not going to be me. It's just, it's just true. It is. That is true. That is the situation. So he just slips on a pair of gloves. He looks at Victor coldly, coldly, and says, you made me do this. And he just flips the switch off of Victor's life support. That was another, that's another moment of a line. Like, you made me do this. That's an abuser mentality. Hmm. I'm justified. Oh my goodness. He just flips that switch on Victor's life support. And then Victor dies and we're all like, whoa, what happened to Eric Braden? No, <laughs> no. No, that's not what's going to happen. Victor's not just going to die. <laughs> JT gets away with it forever. No. Surely. You can't just walk into a hospital and do that right. There's got to be like a backup generator that will save Victor's life. And I'm sure there's got to be an alarm or something where the nurses and doctors are going to rush in and, and flip the switch the other way. Plus, there's security cameras. Surely, surely, surely. Oh, man, this is bad. You thought JT was bad before? This is really bad now. Man, this guy better be JT's evil twin or something because otherwise JT just bought himself a one-way ticket to prison. JT also visits Jack in prison, and I could see that there were signs of JT feeling remorse that Jack had to get caught up in all of this. But at the end of the day, I think his mentality toward Jack is exactly the same as the mentality toward Victor. It's either you or me, buddy, and it ain't gonna be me. So I guess Jack's just screwed. Unless, like, shouldn't that new crime scene evidence be um, enough reasonable doubt to get Jack released from prison immediately? Or no, I guess that's Michael's job to latch on to that little piece of evidence. Um, but, I mean, for crying out loud, somebody better get Jack released out of prison before Ashley and Abby have to take extreme measures. Ugh to get Jabot out of Kyle's hands. Now, Kyle, he is making himself real comfortable in Jack's chair. I mean, he is using the private jet, and he's, he's just, he is just enjoying being the guy who's making the decisions, and he just decided to crown himself king of Jabot. I mean, I guess there's an... Ugh, 
there could be, we know it's not true, but I suppose there is a little bit of an argument that could be made that no one else in the family was exactly uh, stepping up to take over except for Ashley, but she wouldn't be able to do that job effectively given the blood out claws. So, I mean, I guess I could see a little bit of an argument from Kyle's perspective that he was the, uh, the only qualified candidate who was stepping up to do the job because Billy wasn't. Billy wasn't falling over himself to take take it over. So Kyle just went right over Billy's head, went right over Tracy's head, and just decided to uh, make himself, <laughs> just appoint himself the CEO and start acting like the ruler of the roost. And it is really unattractive. I mean, the actor's attractive. I stand by all that from last week. We went all on about that. But I mean, it's he's obviously uh, taking on some villainous um, characteristics here, and it's not a real pretty look on him. I feel terrible for Jack because Jack knows that this is happening. Kyle has unmasked himself to Jack, even though he's trying to play Mr. Nicey Nice with everybody else in the family. Jack's the only one who really has seen the truth, and he's stuck in jail completely unable to do anything about it. There was an interesting opener to maybe Wednesday show, I don't remember, where um, it, they tricked me a little bit because all of a sudden we were uh, opening up the show to this press conference that Victor was holding with Kyle and I'm like, wait a minute, did I miss an episode? How did Victor get all suited up and in front of the camera? I thought he was in a hospital bed. He was he was looking half dead. Uh, but it was a fantasy slash nightmare that Jack was having, but believing that Kyle was going to hijack his father's company, uh, make it his own, make a bunch of crazy changes, and also to partner with Victor. Jack is very, very paranoid about Kyle's connection with Victor, and rightly so. Jack saw the emails. They were planning something against him. What Kyle is putting out there is not the truth. What you see is not what you get when it comes to Jack's son. Um, and it almost seemed like... Kyle was going to be capable of manipulating Ashley a little bit. Like maybe Ashley was at the beginning of the week before Jack talked to her, starting to buy everything that Kyle was putting out there. She uh, she thought his plan, he had some kind of written plan for what he was going to do as CEO. She thought that was great. She said, you know what? That's even exactly what I would do. Wow! <laughs> You've had all this experience in the business world and uh, that's exactly what you, what you would do? I mean, I don't know. He seemed like he was about to pull the wool over her eyes but then Jack talks to Ashley tells her in no uncertain terms we have to stop my son we cannot let him do whatever it is he's gonna do and then Ashley starts to get wise and realizes that Kyle's actions are not exactly matching up against a person who just wants to help out at the family business while dad's away especially considering his first order of business was to fire Gloria oh man Kyle you don't you obviously don't really know Gloria all that well <laughs> Because, like, she gonna get you. <laughs> Whether it happens tomorrow or a week down the road, Gloria is not gonna forget this and you're gonna be sorry. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, I get where he was coming from as far as her questioning his motives, but still... 
That says it all right there. Kyle is wanting to surround himself with the people who are going to affect his decisions and the changes that he intends to make with the company. But bad idea to cross a woman like Gloria. Um, he's very sneaky, though, in that he pays a visit to Ashley to preemptively tell her about what happened to Gloria, he, he, or with Gloria. He didn't want Ashley to find out about this secondhand. That would make him look bad. So he goes to the house, talks to Ashley, presents everything he's done as harmless, even has an interaction with Dina, where he kind of saves the day. Dina has gone off on a little bit of craziness. She has, she's, she's, I shouldn't say crazy, sorry, that was inappropriate, but Dina's gone off on you know, one of her spells where she thinks that Jack is John and John is in jail and she needs to go to the jail to help him. And Kyle helps calm her down and again, try like presents himself as being really harmless and helpful. He was asking to move into the house even this week. Ashley and Abby had to tell him to back off a little bit because of Dina's condition. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure exactly if he's going to somehow use Dina's condition to help further his agenda? I'm not sure, but Ashley and Abby are at least smart enough to realize that Kyle is slippery and they're going to have to have a plan to stop him. In fact, the other Abbott, who's perfectly capable of taking over the CEO position, would be Billy. He's a blood Abbott. He's, he's, I kind of like the idea of seeing Billy at the head of Jabot. I thought that would be really fabulous. I mean, especially since Phyllis is working there. It could have uh, had a lot of potential there, but it didn't end up working out. Ashley calls an emergency board meeting, which is like one of her favorite pastimes. <laughs> she loves emergency board meetings. <laughs> and she tries to have Kyle de-seated as CEO, have a vote to fire him, and then have a vote to uh, replace him with Billy. But none of that works out, unfortunately, for the Abbots. Um, Kyle has been, he, he's been self-crowned, and apparently being the CEO of Jabot, that he just took that position, has given him all of the power, and they, they really can't deceit him. And it was just like, he essentially said, any move you try to make, I'm just going to turn around and veto it, or I'm going to tie it up in legal battles for years and years if I need to. I don't understand how anybody could just come in and usurp a company like this. He didn't get permission. I mean, there was no board meeting to elect him as CEO. So why? And yet the board can't take away the position as CEO. Well, what good is the board? That made absolutely no sense to me. Um, but what did make sense to me <laughs> is where the storyline is headed. And the fact that there is only one card left to play. The results are in Jack's DNA test. So last week, I must have blipped out and missed how this whole DNA test with Jack was supposed to work. Um, Abby and Ashley grabbed a sample from Tracy and a sample from Jack, and that's what the lab compared. So when the results came in, the, uh, the, the you know, the, the black and white version is that Jack and Tracy are not 
related, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Jack's not the abbot. It could mean that Tracy's not the abbot. So they're just combining these results with what Dina has told them, but Dina is still very confused. So, I mean, I think this twist is a little bit shaky, and that makes me think that it's probably not going to turn out to be true in the end, but I've got to set that aside for now so that we can have the purposes of chatting about the twist. So I'm going to roll with it for now and assume that that's, um, that that's the case, even though I think it won't be revealed to be that way. But given the fact that now Ashley believes that Jack is not John's son, I was really feeling impressed with her attitude this week. The The fact that she has this very powerful weapon in her hands and was choosing not to use it, I thought was was really loving of her. The fact that she would consciously choose to not want to make Jack feel less than an abbot the way that he made her feel less than an abbot by throwing the blood abbot claws and the paternity uh, her true paternity in her face i thought that that was a, a really um attractive look on ashley now, if they're going to feel forced to throw down Jack's paternity test to invoke the Blood Abbott Claws and get Kyle out of the company, that is going to hurt Jack. That is going to be a mess. And I want to know if you guys are wanting to see that. Do you think that Ashley should expose Jack's paternity test results? Why are chat... Dot com. That's our poll for the week. Would you rather see Ashley bring out those paternity test results, create some drama, or would you rather maybe we just don't talk about this anymore? <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing your votes because I have a feeling that that drama is going to be playing out next week or very soon. I think I, I think I much preferred to see... Ashley take the high road. Jack is really in a, a low place right now as far as where his life is, sitting in jail, the fact that his son hates him. I don't know if I want to see added to that Jack having to uh, realize and be revealed that his father is not who he thought he was. I mean, Jack is dealing with the fact that he's maybe not the man that he thought he was, and, and now to have to deal with the father issue, too. Oh, I don't think we have a choice, though. Phyllis is firmly in Jack's corner on all of this. She made known really early in the week that she is going to prove Jack's innocence. She wants to help get him out of jail. She wants to help take Kyle down. Uh, Billy had to reel her in a little bit at the beginning of the week. They, they, they decided to team up on this effort later on, but the fact that his reaction was to tell her to just stay out of it and not go all Chelsea on this situation tells me that there's going to be some discord between those two. I think Billy and Phyllis are going to find themselves disagreeing a little bit, maybe about how to approach Kyle uh, on Phyllis and Billy and Phyllis's end specifically, I also wonder if we're going to start to see Billy gravitating toward helping Victoria in the future, too. It's, it doesn't, it's not exactly a good sign 
for Billy and Phyllis. I think they're going to have some challenges. Phyllis goes to visit Jack and she reinforces to him that she's on his side. I don't necessarily think this is going to lead toward any kind of romantic reunion between Phyllis and Jack, but I do like seeing her there uh, supporting him and letting her know that she she's going to do things in her Phyllis sort of way to help him out of this. Um, I kind of remember that, like she mentioned this week that she and Kyle had a complicated relationship. I kind of remember Kyle being attracted to her. Do you guys kind of remember that? I wonder if Phyllis is going to use her feminine wiles <laughs> to get Kyle to do what she wants him to do. I'm not sure. We've seen um, a few little hints of people maybe getting involved with Kyle or raising an eyebrow uh, as to what the re- how the relationships that he's going to have will play out. It was surprising to me to see Kyle have an interaction with Mariah. I don't, I mean, I kind of, I guess, a little bit remember them being in the Scooby-Doo gang together, but I don't really remember them having as much interaction. It probably, um, they, they acknowledged, Mariah and Kyle, that they weren't friends, and I think it's mostly over Summer. Kyle was dating Phyllis's daughter Summer, and Mariah and Summer had a bit of a rivalry there. So um, they did not like each other. They acknowledged that, but then they went on to be friends, and Kyle asked Mariah if they could hang out together. And I'm wondering, how's that going to play out? What's that going to look like? Are Mariah and Kyle going to be friends, or are they going to end up being enemies or are they gonna end up being lovers you never know (laughs) you just never know I just feel so bad for Jack in all of this. There was this great scene between he and Phyllis where, um, in the jail, where he was confiding in her how he feels about the fact that his son is being so vindictive toward him. And there was this interesting observation that he made about it being a full circle moment for his life where he looks at Kyle and he sees a younger version of himself. That impetuousness and this, you know, smugness and the self-righteousness and all of these qualities that he's not proud of. He's seeing them played out before him in his son, Kyle. And I thought that was such, um, it just seemed like a full circle moment for him. And, and I, felt, I, I felt compounded in my sadness for Jack. The only thing worse than, you know, experiencing karma, which, you know, maybe it is Jack was smug and he was self-righteous. And this was, you know, a coup was very much up Jack Abbott's alley down, you know, in the past. So, I felt bad for him that maybe this is a little bit of karma. And the only thing worse than karma is realizing that it's happening to you and not being able to do a thing about it. Why just try one time to make a baby when you could try two times? I mean, heck, double your odds, double your pleasure, double your get down, have a little fun. Why not? (laughs) Um, The majority of you guys were rooting for a Hillary and Devon baby. That our poll question for last week was, are, are you rooting 
uh, for these two to conceive, 76% of you, the majority, were happy to have it happen. Although the minority, 24%, were vocal and um, they did have some legit comments uh, that I'll get to here in just a little bit. So um, it's still definitely a mixed bag. Hillary, after they do the deed again and again, practically floats back into the office at Hamilton Winters. She seemed to be feeling really good about herself, really good about her future. It was looking really good. It was obvious to Mariah and to Hillary that, that or sorry, to Mariah and to Lily that Hillary and Devon were together all night long and all morning again. So Hillary decides to rub it in Lily's face. I mean, Lily tried to sabotage the plans that she had for her future and getting pregnant and having a child with Devon. And so Hillary decides, why not shove this right back in Lily's face? I want to let her know that she did not succeed. And Lily took it. She wasn't happy about it at all. She did go to Devon and apologize to him, but I really felt like Devon's reaction was not strong enough with Lily. I expected him to have some repercussions or at least really acknowledge what Lily had done, but it seemed like the whole the caper from last week with Lily and Kane was very much swept under the rug. Um, and, and, and Lily is really not one to be deterred. <laughs> Lily bumps into Simone, the singer that Devon was dating, and she winds her up and points her in Devon's direction. And hey, why not? Devon is totally open to having a relationship with Simone. Devon is still sticking to the original terms that he and Hillary had, which is, yes, we're going to co-parent. Yes, we're going to have this baby. But we've been very clear from the beginning that this is not us getting back together. So there certainly is no problem with him moving forward uh, into a relationship with with Simone. I was just really surprised that he didn't want to tell Simone about this quickly. <laughs> like, I thought that he was going to mention everything that was going down with Hillary to, qu you know, qualm and get ahead of any, any kind of drama that was going to come that way. I feel like, I mean... If, if, if you're trying to date a man and he's having sex with and conceiving a child with his ex-wife, you deserve to know. And he paid the price for not getting out in front of that quicker than he did. Um, Hillary, unfortunately, got to Simone first with that information. So, uh, <laughs> Devon and Simone are at the athletic club and they're having a date and Devon is just about to tell Simone this information to his credit, but he gets a phone call. He gets up, he walks away, and Hillary sees an opportunity. She had run into Kyle, of all people, at the athletic club. They had some interaction there, um, and who knows? That could be, who knows what could end up going on between Hillary and Kyle, because their first interaction that we're really seeing as the audience was two peas in a pod, probably causing all kinds of drama in the future. I mean, he picks up on what Hillary's trying to accomplish right away and says, oh, I see. You're trying to make Devon jealous. Well, let's really make him jealous. He starts kissing face with Hillary. Devon and uh, Simone completely see it. And it's also transparent what Hillary's trying to accomplish with all of us. So the second 
that Devon walks away from the table, Hillary decides to get up, walk by, knowing that Simone is going to mention this little display of affection that's so clearly aimed at make, trying to make Devon jealous. Simone brings it up, and Hillary can't stop herself from just spilling the beans about everything that's going on with their conception plan. So inappropriate! Like, didn't Devon just talk to her about not rubbing it in Lily's face and not needing to go to these extremes? I felt really, really bad for Simone because to find out that information, it really, it, it ruined any chance that she had with Devon. And that's exactly what Hillary wanted, really. I mean, Simone, Devon comes back to the table and Simone tells Devon, look, I don't care whether you're conceiving a child with your ex-wife in a lab or if you're doing it the old-fashioned way, if that's the choice you're making with your life, I'm not going to be a part of it. We're done. I'm not going to date you. Uh, I mean, can't Devon see <laughs> that Hillary is just going to do this to every woman he tries to date, probably for the rest of his life or until Hillary and Devon just end up getting back together in a couple of months. The dedication of Nikki's new Chancellor Park project. I thought that this whole scene was a much better tribute to 45 years of YNR than the Walnut Grove Centennial Party was. I thought it was just, it was fun, it was excellent, it was soapy. I just have to take a moment right off the bat to appreciate the fact that this scene was taking place in the rain. I, I mean, it's such a small thing, but can we just appreciate the fact that this is filmed on a soundstage? Like, it is spring here in the Midwest. We, I mean, we had a snowstorm last weekend, uh, but normally at this time of year, it would be rainy. It's nothing but rainy and gray weather. And YNR's on a soundstage in Los Angeles, and here they are recreating this Midwestern rainy scene. I just thought that was really cool. Maybe that's why we did didn't get uh, a set for the centennial party, like a gym, high school gym set or something, because they were working on this whole rain thing. <laughs> but I just want to appreciate the work that went into that. I thought that scene was beautiful, and the rain just added an element of, like, I don't know, just scenery. It was part of the scene in, in such a beautiful way, and I really appreciated the creativity of that set. I love the splashy visual of all of these fashionable umbrellas. <laughs> I mean, I was standing in front of my screen just like, oh, I love these umbrellas. What a visual. <laughs> I mean, we had plaid umbrellas, we had clear umbrellas, and, and, and Esther had that big pink... <laughs> hot pink flower-shaped umbrella. I guarantee you that Kate Linder probably grabbed that umbrella specifically so that she could be the splashiest one at the party. She probably saw a whole, like, a container of umbrellas. Everyone just, all of the cast probably came on to grab one, and she said, ooh, give me that hot pink. I'm gonna make sure that I'm in the center of this scene. <laughs> I want everyone to see me. 
Oh, finally, they found a use for those umbrellas that sit at the foyer of Sharon's house, though. I'm always, every time we're in Sharon's house, she has this stand of way too many umbrellas. <laughs> and, and I think the Abbots have an umbrella stand, too. Everybody in this town has an umbrella stand, and you never see an umbrella. So, and I think I mentioned that, like, a couple months ago. So, who knows? Maybe, maybe Wyandar was making my dreams come true with this rainy umbrella scene, and they did. Thank you. <laughs> Let me be the first to thank you. I mean, 45 years. Wyandar gives us so much entertainment and so much stuff for free. You know, I mean, and, and it's been so influential on me in my life and I just want to make sure that I am appreciating the small little touches that they give to us because there's plenty of things to complain about but I thought that I thought it was just wonderful I loved that they broke out the big easel painting of Catherine I I also am watching you know the preview of the, the previews on that episode and then just looking at that big picture of Catherine and just thinking about how much I missed that woman I just do. I miss the sensibility that she brought to the show and she, she would have been missing from a 45 year anniversary so I'm glad that, that that was tied into the celebration of this many years of the show I like that we got a good cat fight I liked Nikki versus Jill. And, I mean, th these two are hurling insults back and forth. And then in a very dramatic fashion, Nikki just faints. <laughs> it's the whole thing was everything I needed to just remind me all of the reasons why I love YNR. Jill is back. I mean, you know I love Jill. It was hilarious to see her try to steal Nikki's spotlight on this whole Chancellor Park project when she didn't even know about it until last week. Uh, Nikki, you know, she's Jill's thinking that Nikki's going to be so distraught over Victor that she won't even notice the dedication ceremony. But Nikki shows up, sees Jill trying to steal her spotlight, and she decides to butt right up in there and then tell the crowd exactly how it really is. I loved, I loved watching these two just, just, just insults galore. <laughs> Jill said something to Nikki like, once a stripper, always a stripper. And Nikki says to Jill, eat dirt, bitch. Literally. <laughs> Nikki takes a spade, she digs it into the ground, which is like part of the groundbreaking ceremony, and she just takes this shovel and just hurls the dirt right onto Jill. <laughs> I thought that was fun. I liked it. It was classic. And I was wondering why YNR was choosing to, in the um, previews section of that episode, show us that cake fight scene um, between Jill and Catherine. I was wondering, why is that there? That's like, they do the previously on, and here they're putting up a, a scene that seemed so apropos of nothing. But then I realized it was to remind us that Catherine would have loved all of this drama, especially taking care of place at, at something that was about her. Just the fact that, you know, that, that, that something like this was going on at a, at a, a show of her honor. Um, and I I think I think Catherine would have loved it. I really do. I think that Catherine would have probably in Nikki's place instead of tossing the dirt on Jill. I think Catherine would have dug a hole, <laughs> pushed Jill into it and then just thrown the dirt on over her.
Here at YNR, we don't need too many good excuses to party down, dude. <laughs> I gave you that quote last week, party down, dude. I thought maybe more people would get it, but I guess it was a little bit harder than I expected. I mean, last week we had the big anniversary celebration of the Walnut Grove Centennial, and we were having a party, and the 45 years of YNR, and so it seemed like a great great quote to have uh, for our parties. Um, and But yet, at the same time, who said it was probably unexpected. It was Paul. <laughs> Paul was talking with Christine and she was saying eh, I don't know if I want to go to Walnut Grove party and he said you know what you should go go to this reunion and party down dude <laughs> I don't know it was just a funny an odd comment to come out of Paul's mouth but that's who said it and only two people got it right so extra big shout out to Henry and Ambreen, you guys guessed it. it. It was a hard one. I think this one might be a little challenging too, but I felt like I didn't have as much to choose from this week. So I'm just going to give you a snippet of a sentence. I like when there are, you know, creative language, when there's creative language in the, in the show's writing. So here's, here's one. Who's, who uttered the phrase, lightning bolts of retribution? lightning bolts of retribution. I just thought it was like a, a mouthful and it was part of an interesting comment. Uh, and if you think you know who said it, you can go to yrchat.com to leave your guess and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully quite a few of you will get it right. Um, and if you do, then you'll get your shout out next week on our chat. Oh boy, I feel like I have talked extra this week, have I? Let's let's get let you guys start talking back here. Let's start with Liz. Uh, wanted to weigh in here about Arturo and Abby. Liz says yes. Arturo and applauded plant. <laughs> yes. I don't care who Arturo is dating. I just want more of that man on my screen. He could stare directly into the camera and slowly recite the alphabet and I would be in heaven. <laughs> all right. I mean, we got to have eye candy on the show, so I'm all for it. Um, this was an interesting reminder, though, from Ellen saying that Victor thought there was something fishy about Arturo's projections for expanding the affordable housing project. Uh, so I had kind of forgotten about that and maybe that maybe YNR will end up switching directions but the point Ellen is bringing up here is legitimate. We could be seeing Arturo even though he's very hot, I mean, it is there is still a possibility that he's got some ulterior motives here. Rarely do we just get eye candy without there being something more going on. And it's a little bit concerning that he could possibly be shady. And here we have him in a scene this week uh, being introduced to Abby. 
T. Nicole says, I would love Abby and Arturo together, and I still think I might, but it would have been nicer if she met him first before Nikki. I want Abby is to have a strong, long-lasting relationship for once, and if she met Arturo just as a nice, solid guy who was a contractor helping out with the building project, that would have been great. This situation with Nikki can cause it to get messy, with more lies within the family, where she will later find out that Arturo slept with Nikki. That is a concern. <laughs> First of all, that Abby tends to have serial bad taste in men, and I worry about her getting her heart broken if there is something up with Arturo. But you probably also, the, probably the more likely scenario is just the fact that maybe it'll be awkward to if she finds out that Arturo was having an affair with her father's wife. <laughs> Maybe that's where the complexity is. And who knows at what point YNR will just decide to go and spin it off in whatever direction. Hey, there was a mystery woman who appeared at Victor's bedside this week. Who do you guys think that was? We just saw the back of her head sitting at Victor's bedside. Um, I honestly don't even have a whole lot of guesses. Zuperplex was guessing here that it might be Dr. Meredith Gates. The doctor who was um, who was helping Victor and seeing him as a patient while he was in prison, she could m most definitely, uh, especially in a medical situation, be someone who decided to pay him a visit. Um, Daisy also had a couple of different comments here of people who it could be. Could be Chloe. Could be Chelsea. Could be Julia Newman. Um, Daisy says, though, of course, it might not be anyone from Victor's past. He might just have a new girlfriend. Wouldn't that be interesting if at the end of all of this affair with Nikki, we find out that Victor was having a little affair, a little something, something on the side for himself. I could see it. Oh, let's get to JT. I think that, uh, again, I feel like the fact that this storyline has touched me so deeply that I'm dreaming about it is another good sign that it has been an effective storyline. Um, Consuela makes a good point here that saying, it just occurred to me, but why didn't Paul consider JT as a suspect? I mean, Paul knew all along about the plan to bust Victor, and he knew that JT was disgruntled about the false papers that Victor planted. And Paul also knows about how JT feels about Victor, and if he had considered JT, he would have known that JT had a motive. <sighs> That's a good question. <laughs> Paul maybe needs to focus a little less on partying down dude and a little more on doing his job. I kind of think maybe we're going to start to see that next week, but it is a really good point that Paul, better than anyone, should be suspicious of JT's involvement in all of this. There really isn't anybody but Paul who might be able to put together two and two about JT's motive. Kara says, I cannot believe the complete 180 of JT's character. He was never like this before. I used to love him, but now I'm anxiously awaiting for the day that his feet fall out from under him. Great job by the new writers, Kara says. Again, you know, it's like, ah, I hate seeing the character take such a deep dive, but I do think that this has, I think it's been well done. I just hope it's not like, oh, I don't know. I just hope it's not over without more resolution. But we say that every week now. Um, Aaron, this is a good comment, and I like this. Aaron says, I felt bad for Mackenzie when she was trying to explain uh, to Victoria about JT's violent behavior to try to protect Victoria. 
and Victoria just dismissed her with side-eye comments and sarcasm. Well, I know JT better than you do. Well, your marriage may have failed, but mine won't. Well, maybe you were the problem, Mackenzie, and not JT. Really, really good, smart comment, Erin, because um, Mac was trying to do the right thing, and, you know, whatever happened in their relationship, we'll never exactly know because we didn't see it play out, but she was trying to be helpful, and we know that Victoria needed the help. So, yeah, we got to give some credit to Mackenzie for that. Hey, I had a lot of other people comment about that podcast I mentioned last week called Dirty John. Several other people said, we I heard that podcast, loved it, thought it was great. A couple people mentioned that they're making a movie out of it. It is really compelling. I think that if you're engaged in this storyline the way that I am, you might really like that. Check it out. Dirty John. And I'll, I'll, I'll have to check out the movie, too. Eric Bana, I guess, is playing the lead role. I don't know who he is, but, I mean, it's it's really juicy. It, it's this. I mean, it's a re... It's, True crime. I shouldn't say juicy because it ends horribly, but um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not going to end well. But I mean, it's it's one of those like I can't believe that this actually happened in reality kind of situations, and probably would make a very compelling movie. Um, let's get into Mr. Kyle Abbott here. Simone says Kyle is coming to play and to destroy. <laughs> he even took on Billy and dismissed Billy like he was nobody. I loved it. <laughs> I'm still feeling Kyle, even though he's obviously a little smug jerkhead and I would never want to be anywhere around him in reality. I think he's making for some good scenes. Uh, Ellen says, uh, in response to my comments last week about Kyle seeming like a new Adam, Ellen says, I am not getting an Adam vibe from Kyle at all. First of all, Adam would never wear a polka dot shirt. <laughs> uh, and Kyle is interesting and devious, but I don't see the irresistible charm of Adam. Not the original recipe Adam, Michael Mooney, or the reboot Justin Hartley. Maybe he's just too young to have that attraction for me, but I'm glad he's in town. Jack needs some allies. He is a huge life mess right now. Why doesn't Victor ever get the payback he deserves? A tumble down the stairs, not nearly enough. I mean, yeah, I've, I, he's definitely not a co carbon copy of, of Adam in any way, but I guess I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think it's going to be, remain to be seen whether or not I'm able to muster up the lust. <laughs> more lust for him. We'll see how the lust plays out in the coming weeks. Because uh, I, I agree. Like the, Adam had this way that was like, I'm going to do these really bad things, but I'm still going to make you like me and want me. We'll see if Kyle can pull it off. Who knows? I mean, we've only seen him for one or two weeks, but he could. He could. Um, Shakona says, why is Phyllis in all of her ex's businesses. I'm sorry, but if I were Billy, I would be so turned off by that alone that we wouldn't work out. I think it's screaming potential issue for Billy and Phyllis. And like I said, I don't think that we're headed toward any kind of reunion for Jack and Phyllis. What I worry about in terms of Billy and Phyllis's relationship is that we are going to see Phyllis and Nick. Phyllis was definitely trying to be supportive of Nick this week. She went to visit him at Jack's behest, and she was getting close with him. I mean, they do have a very intimate relationship, um, different than the intimate relationship that he's having with Sharon right now. Um, gosh, I need more Nick and Sharon. It's There's not enough 
for me to really mm, sink my teeth into with those two right now. They had their sexy session and they both acknowledged it. And they also both acknowledged that now is maybe not the time to move forward on it, but they're, they're probably both very interested in doing that in the future when things calm down a little bit. But the fact that we saw Phyllis go visit Nick and the fact that I really feel like Billy is going to be involved with Victoria a little more makes me think maybe we're headed for a Phyllis-Nick-Sharon triangle again. This, the, the writers are definitely trying to take us back to some some of the older triangles. I mean, trying to take us back to some things we've seen before, I suppose. Um, okay, here's a good one from Katie about Jack's paternity. Katie says, this whole Jack not being John's son just doesn't make sense to me. When Dina's having an off day, she calls Jack John. But then she says every time she looks at Jack's face, she sees this other man. Which one is it? And the way they tested this was comparing the DNA on Jack and Tracy's hairbrush. So who's to say Tracy is the one with the different father? This proves nothing. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. That's exactly the assessment that I um, was coming to in terms of Jack's paternity, that they're leaving the door wide open for a twist on this. But I really like your comment as far as Dina's continuity. She, she, she comes in and out of understanding reality, but she never wavers on seeing Jack as John. That's the odd thing here. Like, that's the piece that does kind of puzzle me. Like, she will occasionally come to and recall this or that, but we have not seen her acknowledge Jack, um, and she does, and at the same time, she's not really wondering where Jack is. It is odd. That's a really good point. Last week, I asked you guys if you're on board with Hillary and Devon having a baby. Laura says, I can get on board with Hillary and Devon as long as he's strong with her and he doesn't let her backslide into any kind of pettiness when he's around. Uh, Marianne says, I'm indifferent to Hillary having a baby, but if she does, I hope the father will be Devon. I think they have chemistry as a couple, and Hillary can be a character all by herself, but Devon can be dull without Hillary. I want them to be a power couple, like Victor and Nikki. Some characters stir up more drama together than apart. I like that. Um, Astra also says, I think Hillary and Devon has run their course. I feel like it's going to be the same old with them. Hillary will do something immoral and Devon will get mad at her only to forgive her because she does something nice to make up to him. Rinse, lather, repeat. I would rather have seen Hillary get artificially inseminated unknowingly with one of our Genoa City men than to have a predictable reunion with Devon. You know what? When thinking about the cycle of Devon and Hillary's relationship and the fact that it's like Hillary does something bad, then she does something good, and Devon forgives her, it reminds me of the cycle of Nikki and Victor's relationship. Victor does something bad, Nikki's mad at him, then he does something romantic to make up for it, and she forgives him. There's probably a lot of characters that we can think of, or couples that we can think of that are that way. Uh, but I, I, I keep thinking about Marianne's comment, that some characters just stir, stir up more drama together than apart. Maybe... Just the way we said we wanted to see Victor and Nikki team up a little more. Maybe it would be nice to see Hillary and Devon team up a little bit more. I agree that Devon can be a little dull on his own. Um, you know what? I, I'm, I hope I don't get your name wrong here, but Sio Pan 
Siobhan, if you tell, if you um, leave me a, a comment and let me know the f like how I should say your name, like a phonetic, that would um, that I'll, I'll remember it and then I won't get it wrong. So hopefully I'm I'm in the ballpark. Siobhan says I think it would be fun seeing Hillary with Jack, but here's my take on that. Wouldn't Hillary being with Kyle? kind of be the next best thing like we've been talking about hillary and jack's relationship for a long time um ever since you know he they developed their friendship and then this week we have hillary locking lips with kyle did any of you find that to be hot do any of you think that maybe that might be a relationship that would work out i think jack's tied up i don't think jack's gonna be getting involved with hillary anytime soon but i really could see like jack jr with hillary who knows Ah, Jamie and Isabel. They had lots of fun with the Jill and Nikki feud this this past week, as did I. Uh, they, they said, bring back the days of shoving cake in each other's faces. Also, they were loving the umbrella fabulousness. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to be the only one who is focusing so hard on these umbrellas. And then when I heard your comments, I was validated, completely validated. Like, thank goodness somebody else was appreciating those damn umbrellas <laughs> they were great it was a great visual how often do you ever see umbrellas on the screen other than sitting in one of those uh holders so it was just something different i like seeing something different but gary this will be my the final comment here gary did not like the nikki and jill fight was there anybody else out there who did not appreciate nikki and jill gary says it was out of nowhere it was over the top it was forced it was inappropriate crazy and unmotivated yes it was fun i suppose but just dramatically speaking i don't think it worked at all well i can definitely see the argument that it felt a little bit forced because this chancellor park thing it, it, there was no build-up to it whatsoever it, it definitely was there simply and purely just to give us a cat fight <laughs> i wonder if maybe yr realized that they put together this whole 45th anniversary thing and then it didn't include any mention of Catherine Chancellor. So maybe they said, hey, quick, somebody grab that big old oil painting of Catherine, grab some umbrellas. We're going to make this whole thing happen. Okay, everybody. I feel like I've gotten my two cents out. <laughs> I think it's time for you guys to get your two cents in. If you want to go to yrchat.com, it's a great place to leave your comments. Uh, let us know what, what you're feeling, um, what you like, what you don't like. Um, keep it positive, keep it light, keep it fun. And we're going to come back next week and we're going to continue on the fun train here. That's my goal anyway. Um, I The JT and Victoria storyline is such a downer watching him flip that switch on Victor is such a downer so I guess that's maybe another reason why I appreciate a, a little bit of a cat fight to lift it up a little bit so maybe Wyanor will have more in store for us maybe Jill will stick around a little bit longer and hey we got to get to the bottom of this mystery woman thing so I'm looking forward to next week I hope that you guys are looking forward to next week and come back next Sunday and we'll see where we are at that time okay I love you guys have a good one bye